Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy Gretchen, welcome. Hey there. So this show this week is going to be a special look back, and I know everybody's rolling their eyes because that's a nice way to say clip show. <laughs> Clip show, clip show, clip show. So, but this is actually going to be a good one. We do these every once in a while. And a lot of uh, listener feedback likes our coverage of live special events. So we're going to call this the events clip show. We're going to be looking back the last year, talking about the game developers conference that we just did, the consumer electronics show that was at the beginning of the year, Emerald City Comic Con that came back in December. It was a lot of fun. Black Hat. And we've got some great interviews from some of these different things. And it's going to be a step in the right direction of moving forward. We're going to be covering the McMinnville UFO Festival, which we've been talking about for two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're looking forward. We're going to cosplay at that one, too, aren't we? Yes. I hope so. I wonder if a Wookiee counts as an alien. I'd love to bring my Wookiee back out again. Um, your Wookiee it would be considered an alien. Yeah, it's technically not from Earth, so. Yeah. What are you guys doing for it? I have an astronaut costume. Okay. And um, I have part of my Mandalorian done. Cool, cool. No, all that sounds great. And so we're looking forward to that. Emerald City Comic Con, which will be back in August, although it was great in December. I was worried about the rain. It, it, we had that a little bit, but it was still a lot of fun. So having it back in August is going to be great. And we're looking at doing some other things. There's going to be some technology shows and stuff this year. So we're stepping back into it at least a little bit. And hopefully we'll be able to get back up to full capability pretty soon. But I do like seeing kind of where we've been. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to hear people in the background, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are times that I like being with me, but there's other times that I miss just that kind of interaction. <laughs> glad we're getting back there. So no, with no further ado, we're going to start with the GDC and go from there. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This last week was the annual Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. After yep. a three-year hiatus due to the COVID disruptions, they are back with an in-person event and have a lot of interesting things going on. Now, the Game Developers Conference is an industry-specific event that is held to highlight, you know, different things in the video game industry, what's new, certainly titles that are coming out and that type of a thing, but also the technologies behind it, among other things. So, yeah. you know, digging into some of that is important to take a look at what they do and how they do it and what really goes into the process of writing a video game. And once upon a time, back in the days of Atari and, and these kind of a systems, putting the game together was a person or a couple of people that came up with an idea for it to do something and what you could do was very limited due to the technology at the time. So you would put it together, hopefully test it, something Atari seemed to have forgotten in their latter years. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and oh, again, yeah. Let's, let's not bring up that the whole E.T. game. Yeah, the E.T. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a story in of itself. And now that we've yes. hit upon it, they actually did find the cartridges in the dump. This was a game mm -hmm. that was produced by Atari. In my opinion, one of the worst video games ever made. And a lot of people share that opinion. And they produced or created more copies of the cartridges than there were Atari decks in production. That's weird. So, that is odd. Yeah, you, you know, something went something went very wrong with that. One of the other things about games of those days, and even the first generation Nintendo, Sega, all of that stuff, was that it was a cartridge and you couldn't update it. So once it was out, it was out, and whatever it did or didn't do well was the game. 
So fast forward to 2022, and we have a completely different situation. When you buy a game now, if you still buy physical media, which you may mm-hmm. or may not do, when you put it in, the first thing it does is goes out to the internet to actually download the software, an update, zero-day update, and new things are pushed all the time to be able to add content and all of these things. And one of the first areas that the GDC was talking about this year was this whole idea of microtransactions. Mm. Now we've talked. I, yeah, uh, we've talked about that here before. And Jeremy, I'll let you talk here in just a minute. We've talked about that here before. And a microtransaction is a setup where you get a game and then you can go on and buy something within the game. So right. it's a way for the game manufacturer to make more money. Mm-hmm. So you know, and they've, yeah, they've had a lot of problems with people complaining about microtransactions because you know every little thing is a microtransaction. Oh, you want to. You know, change your costume, that's money. You want to get a different weapon, that's more money. And it, some of the schemes that, that have been developed out there, you know, it's a couple extra hundred dollars to get a different character in the game. Right. And that's a little, that's a little money. Now, I can kind of understand some microtransactions for like the smaller games that are like, they call them freemium or whatever. Um, and I can understand them charging, oh, you want something special? Here it is. And that's the way they pay help to pay for the game. Right. But right. when you're spending a lot of money to purchase the game in the first place, then I or you're paying a membership, that just seems kind of like you're being nickeled and dimed to death. And, you know, one topic of this too is what you're talking about, mobile games monetization, is this idea of the free to play games where you end up spending a lot more than you probably would if you just bought it. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, these studios make money. And if it's a decent game, I have no problem funding some of what they do. You just have to be careful because it can add up very quickly and it's small amounts. Yeah. But uh, it turns into a big amount at the end of the day. And one of the discussions actually about this is doing this outside of the app stores because the various markets take a percentage. It was 30%. They dropped it a little bit after a controversy about this last year. Yeah, I remember that. But um, they still want to try to monetize outside of the game and they're looking to be able to do that. Another thing that they're talking about is a new NFT checkout system <laughs> that would be used for buying stuff within game that would be completely separate and apart from the app store. But, you know, moving beyond stuff like that, some of the other things that were very interesting that they talked about was things like the writing of a game. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole ecosystem and industry out there of people that are writers, creators, content creators, designers that have nothing to do with the whole concept of actually playing a game, but actually do the back-end stuff that makes it work. And this is actually more involved in some cases than writing for a movie. Hmm. So your Writers Guild members that uh, deal with these different type of things, it isn't just a path like a script from A to B. That's part of it. But you no, also you have to go off in different directions. It's right. like writing a D&D module. A D&D module or a choose-your-own-adventure type book, that type yeah. of thing. And it has to be believable and credible or the whole rest of the game doesn't work. Then your next step of this is designing the environment that you're in. So mm-hmm. the graphics, the maps, the way that it works, the kind of uh, setup that it has for all of those things. And at the end of the day, that's a very, very key and important piece of it, you know? So I think it'd be kind of fun, personally, but, you know, it's hard to get into that type of industry. Yeah, it is hard to get into the industry, and, and that's another area that was talked about, too, actually. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, there is a great deal of need 
for people that have these abilities and they're behind the scenes and they actually make your product good or not good, depending on what they're doing. Then you have, because it's a piece of computer software, the programming end and companies like Unity were out showing off what they have, new 3D concepts, virtual reality is a big deal this year. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that grow up a lot with the metaverse and all of the things that go along with that. And at the end of the day, that is a key component. And a lot of companies in the last few years have learned how important this is, Project CD Red being one of them with Cyberpunk 2077. It works now, but it didn't initially. caused a whole bunch of problems. And the thing of it is, is you don't want that in your launch. Yeah. Another company was the uh, SimCity that came out a few years ago. They almost destroyed the franchise because they were not able to handle what they got. And the other side of it is, is it didn't work quite right. So at the end of the day, the, those are just two examples. But at the end of the day, that's why you have to have all this tested out. Then you have the launch, the marketing, the ability to sell the game, the idea of getting your players emotionally invested in the characters that they're playing. All that kind of stuff is a, is a layer. It's, it's a lot like writing a book. You want, you want to develop characters that people feel involved with, that they can relate to or somehow have an emotional response to. That's really important. Yeah, very, very much so. And at the end of the day, if you can achieve that, then you end up with a game like a World of Warcraft where your players keep coming back and keep coming back and as long as you handle it right, um, which uh, Blizzard didn't do in the last couple of years, but before that they did, then you have a situation where you have people that will pay a monthly fee and come back, and those type of things can earn a lot of money. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is the industry is changing for doing all this kind of stuff. Another discussion that they had was the whole idea of hybrid work. And with the disruption of COVID, a lot of us have worked remotely now for two years and don't want to go back to the office. Mm -hmm. So this is yeah. something that in a lot of cases is here to stay. So dealing with that without the collaboration, you're working from home, so you still need to figure some of it out. You know, hybrid where you might be in the office a day or two a week, but still at home the rest of the time or working remotely. So a lot of good things came out of it, but those were the highlights that I saw. And uh, we're looking forward to next year. We had to attend virtually this year. But next year, I am going to do my best to be there in person. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, and this is the week to start out the new year of the Consumer Electronics Show, CES in Las Vegas. It's back in person, sort of, this year, after being away last year on a virtual deal with the whole COVID disruption. And it's interesting to see kind of how they've put this together. It definitely came to be a hybrid show at the end of the day. With Omicron out there, a lot of big names started dropping out at the very last minute. But they decided to keep the show in person for those that were able to attend. They did shorten it by a day, so it's not being held on Saturday, but uh, was the rest of the week. And there's a lot of good announcements that are coming out of it. But to start with, let's talk about who didn't show up or who showed up virtually. This is quite a long list. GM, <clears throat> Google, Microsoft, AMD, OnePlus, MSI, Lenovo, Intel, T-Mobile, and the list goes on. A lot of big names on this Twitter, Meta, which is Facebook, Amazon. 
you know, and I kind of get where they're coming from here. And it was two issues, really, Omicron being one of them. And CES did have a lot of health and safety. They required vaccines. They actually gave you a free test in your kit when you checked in. So there was also the airline problem. Yeah, the airline was the other problem. And with all the cancellations and things that are going on, this created quite an issue. It still is causing a lot of disruptions. So, you know, a lot of people got there and a lot of people didn't, but the virtual version of it went pretty well. So it was, you know, interesting to see. There were a lot of openings on the floor. They covered that up as best as they could, but there were some areas where there were obvious gaps, but that was kind of to be expected. Different year as always, but it was glad to see at least part of it being able to be back in person. So it felt like really right before they were going to do this that they were going to shut down, but the CES promoters and the governor of Nevada both felt that it was best to go ahead and proceed because it would have caused a lot of problems for the smaller businesses, which is the majority of the presenters there, having set, taken the time and energy and money to set up their booths and get out there and stuff and then not be able to present. Yeah, there's a lot of effort put into uh, going to a show like that. Yeah. You know, you, you print things out, you have things constructed, you have the people, and then you have the tech that you have to bring with you. Yep, exactly. That's a lot of stuff. Exactly. One of the other odd things was that a lot of the companies that didn't actually have someone on site at the last minute still had their booth. So you had these huge big name booths that had no staff. <laughs> oh. So anyway, mm. but it did go on. A lot of interesting things were talked about there. We'll hit some of the highlights here. One of the big ones that seemed to be on the top of this was Connected Fitness. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of different companies out there that are doing a lot of different products and different ideas. And that wasn't a test to see how many times I could say different in one sentence, but that's kind of what it came down <laughs> to. And yeah. we were seeing things like a company called Mir, which was acquired by Lululemon, say that three times fast. Uh, yeah. Peloton was there and a number of these other things where you buy equipment that goes in your house. And through a variety of ways, you do workouts, whether that be a bicycle or the mirror, which was one of the more unique ones. Oh, yeah. Seeing someone reflected back at you. We've seen the commercials for it. It's not a new product, but they've got a number of updates and different things like that that they're dealing with. And a lot of this kind of equipment has been on fire the last year and a half because with the gyms being shut down and people not being comfortable going out, and even with the gyms reopening and not being able to use locker rooms and things, it does make it easier to work out at home. So buying these things are something that has been going on a lot, and there's a lot of innovation in that area. There's a lot of wearable tech going on with this, too. They have a lot of devices that deal with monitoring heartbeats and all that, like your smartwatches, like your Fitbit. There's upgrades to all of that. But there's other things, too, including rings that Mm -hmm. monitor Mm -hmm. what you're doing. They even have a device out there that's able to monitor your blood sugar if you have high blood sugar, and you don't have to prick your finger. Oh, wow. I I know there was quite a few people I know who would like that. (laughs) You actually monitor on your phone and it gives you an alert if your blood sugar gets too high or too low. So things like that with the wearable technology, we're really seeing this going in a major direction. An item that I'm trying out along those lines is a wearable jacket that warms up and sets your body heat. So if you're in a really cold environment, it works like the heated seats in your car. And it's, I will say right now, just trying it out a little bit is very comfortable. Now, the one that you're trying out, um, I saw a vest that um, heated people up, but yeah. you would actually see like a light, like, like um, it almost look like metal wires mm-hmm. inside heating it up. So does yours look like that? 
Uh, mine, you don't see any kind of a light. Uh, well, there's a light uh-huh. on the button if you if you run it in manual mode, but uh, right. yeah, there's no kind of a light. It just looks like a jacket, kind of like a ski jacket. Uh, it has a hood on it and everything, but mm-hmm. uh, it is really nice. And it's it's past- now can yours get wet? Yes. Oh yes. wow! And being in the Pacific Northwest lately, we have tested that quite <laughs> extensively, and there were no problems. Yeah, it, it just it's it's really really nice. So. You know, the wearable tech's a big deal, and I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of that as we go forward. Another big thing on the floor this year is robots. And we talked about this, that 2022 will be the year of the robot, and it seems that they agree with us there at CES. You're seeing a lot of different things. There's a huge list of stuff that was displayed. Exoskeletons, elder tech, agricultural Mm -hmm. tech, prosthetics, disinfecting robots was another one with the whole COVID thing. So, you know, seeing all of that kind of out there is is just absolutely amazing. It feels almost like a Star Wars set in a way with all these things running around and seeing the technology coming to our homes. I think by the end of the year, a lot of us will have the equivalent of a droid in our house. And Gretchen, how do you feel about that? You're a Star Wars person. Oh, I'd love to have a droid, but he'd fall down the stairs. Stairs <laughs> yeah, was one big deal. That's one thing I noticed. Even the uh, Amazon product doesn't go upstairs yet. <laughs> I can't imagine forcing uh, Anthony Daniels dressed as C-3PO down our stairs. Yeah. Uh, that would end no. in tragedy. No <laughs> droids would make our stairs. BB-8 would even have a problem. Yeah, he'd so. be rolling down really fast <laughs> and crashing. <laughs> so we'd have to have a lift. But, you know, at least one droid for a floor. Yeah, there you go. One droid for a floor. Well, you know, it used to work that way, so why not now? But uh, <laughs> this technology will continue to come into its own, and I think that we'll probably see a solution to that eventually. But uh, the other things is the sensor networks that drive all of this stuff. LiDAR is big on the floor. Oh, year. yeah. Really? And it's being used. I didn't get to see that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's being used in robotics, self-driving cars, drones. And the list mm-hmm. goes on and on. Even shoes. Uh, there was a pair of shoes that had that in it. So really? the technology huh. for this is being really enhanced. For one thing, I noticed it's much smaller, the units that uh, they use for it now. So I remember mm-hmm. seeing LiDAR as this big thing that almost looked like a lawnmower kind of. And Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's much smaller now. It fits in a smaller box, depending on the capability of it. But um, that is a technology that we're going to be seeing embedded in a lot of things. But um, I definitely can understand where all of these sensors are a big part of everything we do. And the other area that I wanted to talk about, we're about out of time here, is the field of remote work. And this has been an area that hasn't been a big deal for a while until COVID. This last two years, tablet sales, PC sales are up and all the devices, webcams and stuff are hard to come by. So there's a lot of technology building into this, including lighting, conferencing devices, microphones, and other things that are designed to make your home office almost like your work office. And I think for a lot of us, the remote work is going to be going on for a long time or possibly even permanently. So with that, having these devices in hand is going to be part of what they call the new normal. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're recording live from the floor of the Emerald City Comic Con. We actually made it back to one. Yay! <laughs> so we wanted to just talk a little bit about what we're seeing here this year. And uh, 
it's really kind of cool to see everything come to life. The place is busy. Yeah, it is. Um, I would and, say, and there's a really positive vibe. Yeah, it just feel everybody's like friendly and happy, and you know, so that's kind of cool. And it's just uh, it's just fun to be back, and I think that's the way everybody feels. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of different things around here, and uh, some of you know things that we've seen before, and some very kind of unique, different, unusual stuff. Yeah, a lot of pro- role playing games. We're gonna have an interview here. Uh, about some custom stuff for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, dice. Uh, Jeremy, you're the dice person, so what dice. did you see? Tell okay, us about that. There's uh, uh, several different people selling dice and several different people making dice, but you've got stuff that's glass, wood, and metal, and then all the plastics. So everybody's got their own cool colors and designs and mixes for all the things, but if you're going to make dice out of glass, I love it. Now, you collect dice, I know, and you've gotten some uh, Kickstarters and some unique things like that. Yeah. So what's your favorite dice that you have? So far, my favorite dice is the Liquid Core dice. So when you roll it, and when it comes to a stop, the interior keeps rolling around. A little glitter moves inside. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, So far, those are the coolest ones I have. The electronic ones are coming, but they're not done yet. So, you know, looking around at everything else, we got to look up at the artist gallery. To give an idea, the convention center is four floors, and there's basically stuff going on on all four. Yeah. Yes. And, and in the other hotel, too. And in the other hotel. So, it, you know. It's not as packed as the previous time, but it is still very, very full and very lively. Yeah. It yes. just, you know, they're taking all the precautions that are necessary and all of that, but they've done it in a way that's streamlined. So uh, that works out really well, you know, and I think uh, I think I like that. Now, one of the unique things here at this event that I haven't seen elsewhere is a thing called the Star Wars Experience. Yeah. So, Grishan, tell us about that. Well, the Star Wars Experience seems to be, it's a fundraiser, and they collect money for a children's uh, foundation, and they have all kinds of displays where you can take photographs of yourself in a Star Wars setting. With Star Wars actors. Yeah. People fully dressed up, and they were really nice. Yeah, no, yeah they were super and cool they, about they have all kinds of things, and I think these people are part of the 501st. Yeah, it's the 501st. And I think there's another group. The, the, the Rebel Alliance yeah. might be also tied in with them. Yeah. And for anybody that doesn't know, these are costume clubs where people get together, and you try to do the most screen-accurate work you can. Uh, so that was comes from. So these people know all about canon and not canon and all of these other things that I twist my neck around trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only worry about it when it comes to being in a book or a story. Yeah, you know. And yeah. it's uh, <laughs> So they have different concerns than like I do. Yes, yeah, and it, and it is. But you see the work and the time and the passion mm-hmm. that goes into these things, and oh, they're yeah. just absolutely incredible. So, so, so far, Jeremy, what's your favorite thing you've seen here? Uh, my favorite thing so far has actually been other people. <laughs> uh, touche. <yeah. laughs> I mean, I'm literally looking at, at like 50 people. different people right now, and none of them are dressed like they're in street clothes. Yeah. They're all wearing costumes. It is so. Or cool. if they're wearing street clothes, it's a street clothes item with a theme to it. Right, True. right. You know, it's yeah. a Marvel, or it's a DC, or it's a video game. You know, it's great. So one of the things on the cosplay this year that does make it a little different is because of the pandemic, you have to wear a mask, and it has to be visible that you're wearing your mask at all times. So if you have a costume that covers your face like I do, it can't be used right now. So we've seen a lot of very creative ways of uh, dealing with that, you know. So, all right, Gretchen, what's your favorite thing here so far? Wow. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite because there's so many things, but I did find the Lego display really kind of cool. Now, that's Blocks <laughs> International, I think, or something that puts it on, and uh, we'll get the correct name out on our social media along with some pictures. 
But uh, that was really cool. And that, I just, I would, I don't know if I'd have the patience. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the stuff in there, there's like this whole cityscape complete with a very realistic looking Ikea. And things mm-hmm. move. Things move, you know. And lights and everything, yeah. Scenes really from good. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that house with all the uh, paintings. Oh, Hogwarts. Uh, the yeah, Hogwarts, the Hogwarts, yeah. All, all yeah. the picture paintings, yeah. Okay, now you'd yeah. think I'd remember Hogwarts, but yeah, yeah it's... You were dressed as a Slytherin <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, but it's all about Slytherin. Who cares about the name of the school, right? Oh, so anyway, okay. no, but um, the, the, these things move, and they're well done, and it's all Lego bricks. And you talk to the people, and they are just so passionate about, uh, about everything they do, and it's really cool to see what goes together. And one of the stories this year was that um, they had moved some of the sets in, and I guess one got hurt into shipping. And they had to be rebuilt on site, and I can only imagine that would probably have... Uh, Stressful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but um, all in all, it's absolutely great. So we're going to go check out the show a little bit more and see uh, what else we see. So this is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our pictures from this weekend, One User-Friendly on Facebook and Twitter. And we will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. User-Friendly is available anywhere you want to hear it, including your Amazon Alexa flash briefing. Just add the user-friendly skill for all of your technology and pop culture updates. I would like to now welcome, live from Las Vegas, Chaz Wellington. Chaz, welcome. Hi, thanks, Bill. It's great to be back in person at Black Hat 2021. So an event where you're actually on site, and we'll talk about that. But before we get into that, give us a real quick explanation, just in case anybody doesn't know, of what Black Hat is. Uh, Black Hat is was founded in 1997, and it's an internationally recognized cybersecurity event series that providing the most technical and relevant information, security research, and training. All right. This uh, sounds incredible. I know you've covered this in the past for us. What's the one biggest difference this year and pre-COVID? Well, the big difference is that it's is that there's not a lot of people attending this year. There's a minimal um, demonstrations. Uh, you know, there's just really not a lot going on. The energy's not as is as high as it usually is, and uh, it's just not anything like it was before. But hopefully, next year we'll be back in full swing. In fact, this this uh, event is in person and virtual. Yeah, and I think a lot of events this year are going to see that where you have to have both sides and not as many people are attending. So uh, we've got an interview from the floor we're going to be doing here in just a second. And before then, go ahead and tell us anything kind of general that you want us to know about it this year. Uh, well, just that, you know, as as I stated before, cybersecurity is an ever-changing environment. You know, this year is no different than the others. The trainings, the briefings, the arsenal, the summits, they're all the same. And in the aspect that they're occurring, uh, but you know, with technology changing so much, we're we're keeping up to date on everything that we need to know. All right, and let's go to Will Lasala with one span on the floor. Hi, yes, this is Chaz Wellington. We user friendly radio. We are here with Will Lasala, director of security solutions and security evangelist with One Span. He's going to inform us about the security characteristics of super apps and examples of how organizations are leveraging in-app technologies like application shielding and biometrics to protect against fraud, as well as how IT, security, and DevSecOps, T, 
teams are increasing their partnership in the application development process. Um, I give you Will. Thank you so much, Chaz. It's great being here. Um, uh, just a little bit about maybe OneSpan. So uh, OneSpan's a software and mobile application security and e-signature company. Um, so we focus on making certain that applications are secure and users are secure with uh, their authentication needs uh, and risk management. Um, and then additionally, we also offer digital signing and a suite of products around that, including identity verification and mobile app hardening and shielding. So quite a gambit, but all in the security realm, really, uh, about you know, kind of protecting that user journey and that user interface as they are interacting with your applications. Um, I've been with OneSpan now for about 25 years, um, so uh, I have quite a background in that. I've helped basically all of our large customers uh, implement uh, technologies, our technologies. Uh, and even before that, I, you know, I was an engineer, a security architect, a network architect, uh, and I come from actually from the birth of the Internet. So I helped a ISP start up back in the day. Uh, nice. So it's a, a little unusual history, but uh, in the end here, it's all about security. So. Okay. Uh, with your product, uh, does blockchain or quantum computing have any uh, correlation with your product? Yeah. So blockchain is uh, blockchain and quantum computing are both very interesting topics because they kind of dovetail into what security does. Today, from uh, OneSpan solution, we're kind of looking at how those technologies can be used in the future. Many things with blockchain uh, have to do with um, you know kind of self-sovereign identity and how a user can prove their identity without you know, having to jump through a billion hoops and kind of being able to maintain and control who has access to that identity management information. And then when it comes to quantum computing, of course, quantum computing is that ultimate holy grail of how you can, you know, potentially attack different security components and, and break those. Well, it's also on the opposite side, too. We can make things harder and more secure using quantum computing and the amount of work that goes through that. So those are both very new technologies, things that we're keeping our options open for. Okay. Uh, what leaps and bounds do you foresee for your company in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. So we do a lot with mobile application shielding and kind of in that super app realm, right? So um, when we talk about application uh, hardening and shielding, what we're really talking about is the ability to protect an application while it resides on an untrusted mobile device. And so when it's sitting up in that space, we're looking at how we can protect the, the data, protect the application from hackers getting into it. Um, when we look at that kind of more long term, what we're seeing right now is that, you know, a lot of people are relying on kind of the, the platform to do the security. So, you know, your Googles and Apples and what have you, but that's not good enough. And so what we're starting to see is the, the adoption of these security protection, this app shielding technology that really hardens that whole application, um, ultimately leading, ultimately leading to kind of passwordless authentication. Um, and they do that not just with hardening the application, but then gathering the context of what's happening within the application and the environment around that and handing that into a risk management platform that can ultimately decide how the user should interact with the app. So should they be passwordless? Should they be asked for biometrics? Should they have some other mechanism to help protect the transaction and the user as they're using that application? So this all kind of leads us into how we see, you know, kind of the movement of user authentication and application security. Um, and we, we start to see kind of this, this movement towards, you know, how do we manage apps that we don't own, you know, and, and how do we secure those applications? So 
when we look at our customers like Belfius and, and others, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, you know what? A banking app has to go beyond just a banking app, right? It has to be um, something that people want to come and use constantly, whether it's to go to pay, you know, for for the subway or a taxi or get food or, you know, all of these other things that you can do. And that's what makes a super app, right? So the more we can help protect, because all of these different things are transactions, the more that we can help protect those transactions in that one super app, the more, the better off all of our users are, the more secure our customers are uh, as they move forward. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, I want you to make sure you enjoy Black Hat and we'll see you next year. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, Black Hat's going to be great and looks like a great show floor. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, Chaz, thank you so much for covering the event. Hey, no problem, Bill. I look forward to next year. Next year it is. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. I hope you enjoyed our clip show and looking back at some of the events. Jeremy and Gretchen, what's your, you know, and what we're doing over the next year? What are you looking most forward to? I want to get back to events uh, with people, with things to look at and purchase, and, um, you know, not be harassed or have it be like 100 degrees inside the building. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. that kind of goes I, That's That's all I'm looking for, really, honestly. That's what I want. I, I'll never forget that year in Sacramento. The, the building was fine, but I decided I was going to walk in my Wookiee costume from the hotel, which was three blocks away, to the convention center. Now, in the morning, yeah, I, that went fine. Uh-huh. Uh, however, Sacramento in the middle of June, uh, July, whatever was- it was. It was a hundred plus. Yeah, it was a hundred plus. plus. Walking back was a very interesting experience. It was a bad experience, Uh, a dangerous experience for you. Just uh, because you're wearing like this giant fursuit. Fursuit. It's hot and I I took the head off, but even so, wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, Mm -hmm. there are some things like that that just need to be planned for better by me. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, we'll figure out something. But yeah, I I agree with you right there. Just getting into being able to be back and the shutdown and the disruption that COVID has caused has been so hard on the artists too. And I, I just, oh yeah, feel because you have people that design really cool stuff and things that you don't see anywhere else, and all of a sudden there's nowhere to sell it. And yeah, you can do Etsy online, and all that's fine. It's it's hard it's, for it's an artist not to be able to share what they do. Yeah, yeah. I, I know this from personal experience. I'm still still got my my uh, stories that I'm waiting to get published. Yeah, and and it it hurts so. I'm pretty sure that all these people who make these costumes, these people who do the artwork, the paintings, the drawings and things that are sold in Artist Alley, it hurts not being able to share this stuff with others. I just, I feel artists are amazing people. And I I really respect that discipline because I'm not one. You know, my creative is writing code and stuff, but it's it's different (laughs) than being able to sit down and create something from nothing. And you, you have people, our, our producers like that. He makes amazing artwork. Uh, Bill Snodgrass, Gretchen, you do. Jeremy, you do. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see these type of things. I know what art I like. I've art all over my house, but I can't draw straight lines. So I just mm. feel bad because you have a area 
where it's incredibly difficult to sell. There's the joke, which unfortunately isn't always a joke, the artist gets rich after they die. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's because it is an area that uh, you either have to get into like 5% or selling your stuff, it can be absolutely amazing, but you still can't. And then if you take away the venue where you can actually talk to people and present it, that makes it even more difficult. So I'm just glad to see these shows coming back. I'm glad a lot of them survived. I feel bad that a lot didn't, but uh, we're at least getting back into things. So, you know, there we are. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.